morning. It's good to see everybody, and let's go ahead, and as we do each week, and open up our Bibles together to Galatians 3 this morning. You can find that on page 973 if you want to follow along in a blue pew Bible. And if you're just joining us for the first time this morning, or maybe watching your first service online, um, welcome. And our rhythm here at Grace Church is primarily preaching through books of the Bible. And we began this book of Galatians back in January. And it is a letter. It's a letter written to a series of churches. And the Apostle Paul, who who wrote the letter, is, is preoccupied with emphasizing what Christians believe, not just for the sake of knowing it, but for the sake of then understanding how Christians should live. To kind of see that connective tissue of, of head to heart to hands, of what you should believe and then what you should feel, and then because of that, what you were called to do. And Paul is writing this letter like, like a father writing to his children. He wants his children to believe what is right so they can walk in step with the gospel. And as we head into now Galatians 3, um, a little bit of a heads up that this is probably amongst the most complex chapters written by Paul in the Bible. Uh, There is what you might call a a theological density here uh, that we're going to kind of start today with the first nine verses and over the next several weeks be in chapter three. And and, and I I say that because that could go one of two ways for you, all right, if we're honest. Uh, It could go one way where you hear it and you just kind of immediately lose steam and assume that this is not very relevant to your life. And then from that point, as we've all been there before, you just let your mind go until this thing's over. All right. And just until he stops talking. Um, and that's one way that you might be tempted to go this morning. But the second way and the way I want to encourage us into is that you would hear it and, and delight in the hard work to understand, to delight in that work of digging in and seeing how this timeless word proves relevant and is truly food for the soul. Um, you know, C.S. Lewis, uh, he was responding to a question or a comment of somebody saying to him, hey, when, when I read the Bible and I open up and I read it, I don't feel anything. I, I, I don't really understand it very much, and, and so I, I, I kind of gave up on it because I've done it plenty of times before, and I've opened it, and I don't get it. And, and he says this. And actually, I have the quote up on the screen. He said, I believe that many who find that, quote, nothing happens when they sit down or kneel down to a book of devotion would find that the heart sings while they are working their way through a tough bit of theology with a pipe in their teeth and a pencil in their hand. Now, I can't speak for the pipe part, all right, to be perfectly honest, but I do resonate with the fact that God tends to work in us and reveal himself to us in his word most when we have a pen in hand, when when we're prepared to do that work. And it's common to approach the Bible with what uh, Jen Wilkin calls in her book, Women of the Word, the, the McDonald's mentality to Bible reading. Maybe you resonate with this like I do. The McDonald's mentality that says, quote, I've only got a few minutes. Give me something quick and easy to fill me up. But she would go on to write in her book, "Um, any learning that is worthwhile in this life is never effortless. But Bible study is an investment with a long-term payoff. And so my challenge for us all is to approach this passage with our proverbial pens in hand 
And as Mary said, uh, kids who are normally in kids' worship during this time, uh, we are glad to have you in the service today and in the sermon. Um, I know it's not easy to listen, uh, but Megan is setting you up for success. Uh, Miss Megan, she has provided a handout that has customized sermon notes for this sermon. And so my job is to fight to be as clear as I can, not just for your sake, but for everybody's sake in this room. And even if it's just in pieces, I trust that God will use it in your lives. And if you did not get a handout, you can go back to Grace Connect and they'll be happy to give you one. Um, And and so follow along with that as best as you can. Maybe even write down any questions you have that you want to ask your parents afterwards. And here's what will happen. They will either answer them or they will email me. And then I will forward that email to Megan. (laughs) And Megan will answer for us all. So definitely ask those questions. So we're in Galatians 3. Again, the first nine verses this morning. Uh, May I ask, let's stand as we hear and follow along with the word of God being read this morning. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. Amen. You may have a seat. All right, here's a Bible reading tip for any passage, but especially passages that you kind of read through it and ask what just happened, is to go back through the passage and count which words got repeated. This passage in just nine verses has a lot of things that are repeated. The the first thing that maybe jumps out at you in this passage is the amount of questions Paul gives. Paul asked six questions in the first six verses. Paul said the word you, that's a plural you, writing to the church, not individuals, ten times. He wrote the word faith or believe nine times. The name Abraham four times, spirit three times, and then blessed twice, two times. Here's what happens when you just do that simple exercise. You will find when you get to the end of studying a passage, that which gets repeated is probably the most important part of it. And so here's how we're going to break down this passage this morning. It's going to be pretty simple. Um, After Paul took the first couple chapters in Galatians to share his own story of how he has came to uh, salvation by faith and began to preach that gospel, he now urges the Galatian churches to remember your story and then to remind them how your story is part of God's greater story. So number one, church, remember your story. 
Understand your experience. Reflect on your experience. Uh, so, so as we see in this passage, Paul is clearly rebuking them, right? Um, but he's not emotional just for the sake of condemnation. But rather, he, he's emotional to show them the beauty of the gospel that is before them and to warn them, to plead with them from leaving it. So um, when you picture Paul here, um, often how I've heard Galatians talked about is that it was Paul at his angriest, right? Like veins out of the, popping out of the forehead, angry, writing this letter. But I got to tell you, in this series and just doing the in-depth study on this letter, when you put even this passage in context with the rest of the letter, I think the tone of Paul is not veins in the forehead, but tears in the eyes. A father writing to his children. The kind of tears that you would shed for someone you love who is choosing a destructive path in their life. If you've ever been in that situation, I know many of you maybe had, looking somebody face to face and you, they're going down a path that you don't want them to see them go down and, and you don't want to condemn them there. You don't just want to be angry with them. You, you want to see them restored. Not veins in the forehead, tears in the eyes. And so these questions, six questions in the first six verses, are all kind of getting at the same thing. And it's kind of best summarized in verse 2. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? And what Paul is doing, he's contrasting salvation by works with salvation by faith. And, and here he is building upon what he said at the end of chapter 2, the, the topic of justification. I know that's a big word, but it's an important word, one we should not too easily walk away from. The topic of justification. What does it mean to be justified or acceptable in the sight of God and how that happens? Uh, so if you were not able to hear Pastor Joe's sermon from last week, um, I would really encourage you to do so. Because Pastor Joe provided and unpacked this kind of major doctrine of justification by faith, this landmark reformational doctrine that, um, that is, is kind of massive in our eyes, uh, but he kind of helped to break it down in a way that it was both profound and yet accessible. Because he talked about the relational side of justification, how God redeems and he restores through his son Jesus Christ, not just us as individuals so we get to go to heaven someday, but he builds us into a community. He restores us as a community of believers and then energizes that community to live on mission. So now notice what Paul does from here. He's urging the church, pleading with them, to not give in to these false teachers in their midst. And he does so by reminding them of their experience of salvation. He's saying, do you remember? Before those false teachers came, before they started leading you astray, do you remember your story? And he does it primarily through the lens of the Holy Spirit. That's kind of the interesting angle he provides in this passage that he hasn't talked about yet in Galatians. He emphasizes the presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives. He says, first, remember when you received the Spirit. Because when you repent of your sin and you believe in Jesus Christ for the first time, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit dwells within you. That God now dwells with, within you to guide you, lead you, empower you. And then he joins you with other believers. And the Holy Spirit now dwells within the church. 
So, Grace Church, the Holy Spirit dwells within you if you believe. And Grace Church, the Holy Spirit dwells within you corporately, not just individually, when you believe. And Paul asks, did you do anything to earn that? Think about it. Remember your story. Did God do that for, because of what you did? Did God save you because of your obedience? Because you followed the law? And he's meaning here the Old Testament Mosaic law. He says, no. Especially for the Gentiles, you didn't even know what the law was. You received it by faith. You heard me proclaim the gospel, which is to say, verse 1, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Paul is saying, I was so vivid and clear in my preaching that it was the death of Jesus. It was the work of Jesus that made you righteous before God. Not your work of obedience. Do you remember, church, you believed that and you received the Spirit of God? Commentator Todd Wilson says, quote, The door through which the Spirit travels is opened by the death of Christ. The door through which the Spirit travels into your life is opened by the death of Christ. But notice in his barrage of questions that what else is Paul is doing here. This is where you kind of have to break down these questions, not take them all together. He says not only, uh, he didn't only ask, how did you receive the Spirit? But he also asks, are you now being perfected by the flesh or by the Spirit? So, so if God saved you, do you think now it's up to you to finish this? Do you think that was God's plan? And this matters, not only for them, it matters for us, because here's how I think many Christians, unfortunately, see and live out their lives. Uh, That they believe that Jesus died on the cross for me to give me salvation. But now I must keep my salvation in my own strength, or else it's nullified. Uh, It would be like this. It would be like buying a house. That God provided the down payment in Jesus. He put down the first 20%, cash. But now you got to keep up with the monthly mortgage payments until it's paid off or you lose the house. So you better behave, you better obey, or else God walks away. And I think, in all honesty, that is a constant source of anxiety as to whether Christians think, are they being good enough? And and, and now it's just religious work for the sake of earning, religious work where they they say they believe, but now uh, it's this just emptiness, this, this struggle of trying to keep up so that you don't lose the house. But the gospel does not say that Jesus paid some, and then you handle the rest. No, it says that by faith, we believe Jesus paid it all. Thinking your work keeps you saved, hear me, thinking your obedience keeps you saved, is as foolish as sending monthly mortgage payments to the bank when your house has already been paid off. Paul is asking, church, is this what we taught you? No, and you were walking in the freedom of a paid house. You were walking in the freedom of Christ's saving work, and now you're going backwards. So you receive the Spirit. You're being perfected by the Spirit. And then the third thing he kind of puts in these questions that is often overlooked is that 
That's not only what he does in the past, but now currently he is supplying everything you need by the Spirit. You didn't just receive it. You're not just being perfected by it, but he is supplying the grace you need to persevere in the faith. If you still have your Bible open, look back with me again, overlooked part of these questions because it's kind of tucked in the middle in verse 4. He says, did you suffer so many things in vain? Paul acknowledges that he remembers the church suffered, quote, many things upon placing their faith in Jesus. And doesn't expand on what they are, but I think we can imagine suffering, maybe rejection from their families, rejection from their communities, perhaps a rejection from uh, the government, emotional rejection, Perhaps there's physical suffering that they had to endure together. Paul said, did that happen for nothing? How, how did the Spirit supply grace to you in those times? That, that was by faith. That was by believing. That was not due to works. Uh, Paul will say something, le- uh, something similar in another letter that I think brings some clarity to this. In, in the letter of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6, I think it's on the screen. Paul writes, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. Paul knows what it is to suffer for the sake of Christ. And how, because of the Holy Spirit, he can suffer with joy. That, that, that phrase makes no sense outside of the Holy Spirit. You cannot suffer with joy on your own. And I can say that one of the most real evidences that the Spirit of God is true and working in the lives of even his church today is when I see, walk with, and hear from God's people who are in the midst of suffering and yet are experiencing the joy of the Lord. It is such a powerful witness to me when that presence of God is felt, especially in hard times. Uh, so there's a member of Grace Church, um, became a member last year. She's actually sitting in the balcony right now hiding. You can find her after the service. Sorry, Lizanne. But Lizanne Nepfler was diagnosed with stage four glioblastoma, which is brain cancer, in October 2019. At that point, the doctors gave the outlook, the honest outlook, that only 25% of patients at this stage survive more than one year, and only 5% survive more than five years. Uh, Shortly after, Lizanne began treatment And in early 2020, actually right before things shut down, Lizanne and her husband Jim began attending Grace Church. And from there, it has been a hard up and down journey that you probably can't imagine, but in some ways maybe can, of treatment and all the side effects that come with that and the constant tests and scans and angst that comes with that, all while, by the way, happening in the midst of a global pandemic. But Lizanne and Jim speak of how their faith 
and how their trust in God has been deepened more than ever in the past two years. True joy in the midst of suffering and unknown. Here's what I want you to hear. Here's what Lizanne wants you to hear. This faith was not despite the suffering, but faith in the midst of suffering. Not faith that says, if I just believe enough, then God will heal me and take this trial away. But faith that says, I will trust in him, and even if this trial does take me, I am secure in him, and he will sustain me until the end because he is good. And with that said, man, we pray. We pray that God would heal her, and, and then we, we trust that to him. But, but I want to share actually a quote, and I think AJ was able to get it up on the screen, from an email that Lizanne wrote me yesterday. And with her permission, I share this. Remission of cancer is not always part of his answer to prayer. His answer is always in our ultimate surrender to trust. In his perfect love that drives out fear. In his promise to never leave or forsake us. In the joy that he creates despite all circumstance. And in the peace that transcends all human experience. Each time Jim and I choose moment by moment to offer our fear and suffering as a gift to him. He exchanged them for peace and joy. This is the prayer to which God's answer is always yes. This past January, uh, Lizanne had a PET scan and an MRI, went down to Duke Medical to get the results, showing zero cancer in her brain. And again, there's no telling what the next scan will show. But either way, we know Lazan and Jim are experiencing peace and joy in Christ. Paul is pleading with the church to remember how the Spirit supplied grace in their suffering. And that came by faith. And he's saying, did that happen in vain? From here... When, when, when Paul says, remember your experience, he's not just saying, elevate your experience over everything else. He says, see how your experience now fits into God's bigger story. And he now zooms the lens out and he pivots quickly in verse 6 to number 2. Church, remember God's story. And he does so by going all the way back to the beginning of the Old Testament Again, in verse 6, by saying, just as Abraham believed God, he's quoting now the Old Testament, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So just before I unpack this, I want us to see the main point of this passage. So again, kids, adults, everyone, if you trailed off, come back with me on this. Anyone can share in the blessing that was given to Abraham by faith. Anyone. No matter background, no matter your experience in the church or lack thereof, no matter your history or your family's history, no matter your country's history, no matter who you are, where you are, how you got there, anyone can share in the blessing of justification, of salvation, by faith. This is what puts good in the good news of the gospel. And, and to get us there, and to get the Galatian church there, Paul talks about Abraham, which he knows is going to get everyone's attention in Galatia. It's going to get the false teacher's attention, the Judaizers, because uh, the Jewish line came from him. 
It will get the Gentiles' attention, and they will care because they were told they can only be sons of Abraham by becoming culturally Jewish first. But God's blessing to Abraham is the solution to the world's problems across history. Both individual problems, both communal and systemic problems stem from separation from God and separation from one another. And his blessing to Abraham is the solution to this problem. And so Paul quotes two passages from Genesis to show the church how their story, their experience, is part of God's story. And he goes to Genesis 12, when God came to Abraham to tell him, Abraham, it's going to be through your family line that the curse of the world will be reversed. And his blessing would restore the entire creation back to shalom, back to peace from the current state of chaos and desolation. And the most amazing thing about that blessing in Genesis 12 is that Abraham did nothing to bring it about himself. It was not his works that God saw and said, you know what, he's my guy. It was purely by God's grace to choose him, not for his sake, but that through his blessing, his neighbors would be blessed to the ends of the earth. And verse 8 of chapter 3, incredibly, do you notice what it said? Is that God preached the gospel to Abraham thousands of years before Jesus was even born, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, all the families of the earth, how? By faith. In you, all the nations will be blessed. And that blessing, which was talked about thousands of years prior, back in Genesis 12, was that God was going to save his people by faith. And so these Judaizers, these false teachers that are causing you trouble, they're teaching a false gospel. They're telling you that you have to become Jewish by works of the flesh and by adherence to the law. But Paul just brought them back to before the law was even instated. Back to Abraham, when Abraham received this blessing by faith. So that promise was given in Genesis 12. And then Paul references Genesis 15, when Abraham, and I think we can understand this, was struggling to believe. Because God told him it was going to be through his family line that all the nations of the earth would be blessed. But there was a problem in Abraham's mind. Do you remember the problem? Abraham and his wife... We're old, about 75 years old, and they were childless their entire lives, unable to have children. So Abraham says, in all honesty, I'm struggling with this, God. It's got to start somewhere, but we can't even start somewhere. Genesis 15:5 says this, and he, being God, brought him outside and said, look toward heaven. And Abraham, number the stars, if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And that's when Genesis 15 says what Paul quoted, and he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Paul is showing the Galatian church the expansive story of God who is actively working towards redeeming and restoring his creation. And just as God showed Abraham by bringing him outdoors and said, look up, now is showing them how you are part of that story. 
Do you think Abraham tried to count the stars for a little while? Now, we got to be honest, this won't work in North Jersey. If I bring, if I try to make a point and I bring Caden outside and I said, buddy, look up and count the stars, Caden would be like, four, all right? I see four stars. That's all we got to work with here. So we need a different illustration, but put yourself in Abraham's shoes. Have you ever been somewhere where you were so overwhelmed by the sky on a clear night? Like it's falling on top of you. How brilliant of God to say this to Abraham because throughout the rest of his life, anytime he looked up, it was a reminder of God's story of renewal that he was going to do through him. And Abraham did nothing, but he received everything. And he received that promise by faith. So church, remember your story. Remember your experience. But even more importantly, zoom out and remember that you are part of God's story. The same story he invites anyone into because it is those of faith. That phrase was there twice. Those of faith who are the true sons of Abraham. And from here, where we will pick it up next week, Paul is going to continue drawing out this theme from the Old Testament scripture. But at this point, I want to stop and show us briefly how this dense passage in some ways applies to us today. So kids, if you're still with me, again, Miss Megan, she's got you covered. The final thing on your sheet, three applications. What does this mean for your life today? When you remember your story of faith, And remember, you're part of God's bigger story. Faith is not something you have, but it's something you use. Three ways to use your faith. Number one, faith alone means Jesus is your enough. In Christ, you are empowered to resist looking for a tribe or a group identity in this world. You don't need to rely on worldly labels to find meaning and to define yourself. And when Jesus is enough for our church, the the barriers to entry for fellowship here should be low. When Jesus is not enough, we make those barriers high. We need a certain kind of person here. We need a certain kind of family here. But when Jesus is our enough, anyone who's of faith can come. And we don't need to add another word before our church to explain who we are. We don't need to be a liberal church or a conservative church or a modern church or a traditional church. We don't have to be a missional church or a community church. We don't have to be a white church or a diverse church. We can be a Jesus church. This is the way to live, not by fear, but by faith. And so ask, what are you tempted to look for and latch on into this world to define you? What label do you find yourself wanting to add for protection? And then, what are the fears that are leading to that temptation? When Jesus is your enough, You can be honest about your weaknesses because faith says it was never your strength that defined your story to begin with. And we're more likely to repent, to seek forgiveness from one another when we sin against one another, to grow, 
and to impact others when we live this way. For those of faith, you don't just get saved, you get Jesus. And he is our hope, and he is enough, which means in him, you are enough. That's number one. Second application, faith alone breeds courage. Faith alone breeds courage. As I said earlier, Abraham believed God at age 75. And then what happened? He would go on to leave the land that has, of his family, that his family had been in, without any idea where he was going to follow God. He left the support, the protection, the companionship of his father's home and father's land. Took his wife, his kids, and said, we're going to follow God Advanced in age, a lot of, again, comfort behind us, a lot of unknown in front of us, and yet he went. What do you call that? Just up and leaving and going because God told you to go. The world would call that foolish, wouldn't it? That's dumb. But those of faith call that courageous. Belief in God does not make you lazy, it makes you crazy for God. Because God does crazy things. And we get to walk in that every day, regardless of what the world will say to us. So church, don't just have faith, use your faith. I want to share a quote from Samuel Ward. He was an English Puritan in the year 1600, and he preached a sermon to his congregation and said this, quote, this is using your faith. You will find your soul saying, it is good to be here. Unstirred coals do not glow or give heat. The beauty of faith is its use. Don't just have muscles. Use them. Let a man diligently and thoroughly improve his faith, and the joy it will bring to him will be great. Personally, God has been putting this message in front of me in recent weeks because even this past week, our grace group met and listened to a discussion on what obstacles the church will be facing in America over the next 10 years. And Paul Tripp, one of the men in that discussion, said the church cannot shrink and hide in these days. And we also cannot get bitter or resentful either, but rather we will need, quote, joyful courage to persevere. How is that possible? By faith. Those of faith are empowered to keep you uh, from staying pinned down, to keep getting up, keep battling, keep loving your joys in Christ. Last one. Number three, faith alone fuels obedience. Faith alone fuels obedience. What we will see throughout the rest of this letter is that faith does not make obedience worthless, but it provides the fuel to actually do it. Paul is not saying the law is wrong or the law is evil. He's saying the law is actually good, but it's insufficient to save you. His commandments are for our joy, but we can only follow them if we have the Holy Spirit, which comes by faith. By believing that Jesus justifies us so that when God looks at you, he sees Jesus. This is the power of faith. 
and a life by faith, which we'll pick up again next week, it's kind of messy. We could talk all about the struggles. We could talk about Abraham, this man of faith. Abraham had some rough moments in the book of Genesis. He done messed up pretty good a bunch of times. Faith is not perfection in this world, but it's progress. Our lives are always two steps forward, one step back. Three steps forward, two steps back. And we will all stumble into eternity by the grace of God. But it won't be until we realize that faith in Christ fuels obedience. And yet, our faith does not make God love us more. And our sin does not make God love us less. It's only when we see that, that we actually have the power to obey his word. Grace Church, when you remember your story and see it as part of God's story every day, it means Jesus is your enough. It will breed joyful courage and it will fuel spirit-empowered obedience. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, especially the word that we need to dig in and unpack and focus upon. We thank you, Lord, that you will never turn your people away when they yearn to know you more, see you more. And I pray, Father, that this morning we would see and understand that the way you work in us is not because of us, but because of your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, for anybody here listening who has not yet trusted their lives to your Son, Jesus, Lord, who repents of their sin and places their faith in you, Lord, I pray that your Spirit would come upon them even now to not wait a day longer, Lord, but to surrender and to experience the freedom of surrender. To understand, Lord, that it is anyone who puts their faith in you that are the true sons of Abraham. And I pray, Lord, that that would lead to a progression towards them seeing that Jesus is there enough. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand and sing, I hope, a relevant song to us now. Christ our hope in life and death.